there and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Uh, It's great to have you with us. We're actually not going to be talking necessarily about the Bible today, Phil, are we? Why not? Why why not? We might have some why not (laughs) moments. We might have some wait, what moments in this conversation. But um, this is a special episode ahead of um, our official launch of the Gospel of Mark, which will be our next episode with Jeannie, which I've already recorded as as we record this. and. We've just actually just recorded the first episode of our Revelation series, hmm. which is probably going to debut in about a month from now. <laughs> well, which was interesting. Uh, light, jovial. Light and jovial and fun and easy, yes. wasn't it? So just for the first five chapters, we did a lot of background with that. But yes. um, yeah, we, we wanted to kind of, uh, while I had Phil Weirden in front of me, we're at his house, um, so we've got no video for this feed because we're just sitting at Phil's place, but we, um, with his dog on his lap, he's been barking at everything that moves in the house. So if you hear the dog barking, just persevere through us. Um, but we, um, we wanted to kind of take the opportunity while I had Phil, who is kind of like a resident expert. In fact, I would argue out of all the people in our church, Phil, you know, as much, if not more than, um, than anybody else about, uh, the Israel Palestinian conflict, uh, the Arab-Israeli war history, the history of the state of Israel, etc. For those that don't know, Phil, um, Phil sort of coordinates our Israel tour. We yep. were supposed to be going in May. Of course, we put that on hold with the current conflict. And Phil knows his stuff really well on this. And so I was uh, just saying, let's have a chat. I have different people asking me, what are my thoughts on this? Uh, it's a confusing, complicated, challenging, confronting thing. I'm also aware that uh, even, you know, we'll do our best to keep the conversation appropriate, but the nature of this conflict is such that it is, um, it's challenging, isn't it? It's, it's it is challenging. It's highly emotional. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you might not want to just be aware if you're listening to this in the car, if you've got kids in the car or whatever, it might, we'll try to keep it appropriate. But just to let you know that if you do find some of this traumatizing, anything that we say, we, we try to be as aware of that as we can, but also to the nature of this atrocity is at multiple levels requires that even some of the things we'll say in order to tell 
even at a basic level, will um, might be confronting or challenging for some people. So give yourself permission to skip this episode if you need to. But for those of you who do would like to learn more, I am the the expert next to me. <laughs> There's no, no pressure. <laughs> A bit of knowledge. <clears throat> he has a bit of knowledge. knowledge. Uh, even just in our prep, we were having a lunch in between recording this episode and our last one and um, just hearing how much reading. Oh, I was reading this episode this morning, reading reading this thing this morning, and so it feels like literally current to the day. So we, mm. re- we're recording this and it, things may have changed by the time it's released in a few weeks' time, but we're recording this on the, what are we, about the 20th? 20th of 20th February. 20th of February today. So just mm. to give you if, you, if we miss anything of significance that's happened since then, that's why. Uh, this is being released, at, well, it's being recorded on the 20th of February and probably will be released um, early March, I would think, uh, 4th of March or something like that, a couple of weeks away. So um, where to begin? Where should we, where should we start, Phil? Oh, I was thinking um, probably from the uh, 7th of October. Start with 7th of October 2023, yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. <clears throat> because that's probably where on the forefront of most people's minds. Yep. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um but also to um, start recognising that everybody's got their opinions, biases. Um, so, um, <clears throat> um, so people are um, on all all biases of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, fully pro Palestinian, fully pro Israel, and a mix in between. Yep. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> it strikes so. me that it seems like whether this is the case or not, but from the narrative of the media and from conversations I've had with people, it doesn't seem like there's much voice of the in-between. No. It seems like you have to be one camp or the other. You have to be one or the other. If you're pro-Palestinian, you're anti-Semitic. And if you're, um, you know, pro-Israel, you're anti-Palestinian. It's almost like there's this dichotomy of perspective. Is that the right word? Dichotomy? Yeah. Yeah, You know, Um, and that that concerns me too, because when we get into absolutes like that, we start shouting at one another. We, We seem to lose our ability to just... Listen. Think of this ra- to listen well to <clears throat> think of this rationally, and you know we we all have our biases. We'll do mm. our best to avoid those biases. I'm aware of my biases. Um, I'm aware of. <laughs> now rephrase that. I'm aware of the biases I'm aware of, and I try <laughs> to I try to avoid the biases I'm aware of. But the fact is, all of us have biases that we maybe aren't aware of. Yeah. Um, and as a pastor, and I, this is because I'm I get asked <clears throat> this question a lot about the current conflict, and so. I just thought let's just have the conversation that hopefully if we can get people thinking well, my, my goal would be if I can encourage Christians to not think about pro-Israel or pro-Palestine but think about pro-humanity, mm-hmm. that, that if we can have the Jesus view, like, you know, what, what would Jesus say to this conflict? What, would, what voice would Jesus say to the powers that be in Hamas and the powers that be inside the Israeli Knesset? And, you know, where, where are... Th- where is the Christian message conflicting with both of those? And to do that, we're going to have to wrestle with both sides. And we've got like, you know, we've, we haven't got, we're just going to have a conversation here. So it's going to, a lot of it's going to be yeah. spitballing. It we is. don't have any real idea, definite idea on where we're going to go. We've got about an hour. Um, so we probably won't cover everything, but let's just, hopefully we just shed some light on it. But I, if right at the outset, as a pastor, I would like Christians to be thinking about how, how can they reflect Jesus in this mm. and understand that there are humans suffering on all sides here and it's easy for us to sit, you know, in Sydney, Australia and think, oh, you know, it's and make moral absolute decisions about things that, without thinking about the fact this involves humans, mm. human beings that are suffering on all sides. 
As well as <coughs> this conflict has been going on for <coughs> over 100 years Correct. in that sense. Yeah. Um, and Not necessarily 2,000 years like is often uh, here. but um, And world leaders have been trying to resolve this conflict for generations sort of thing. And so we definitely don't have the answers. Mm. Um, <coughs> and I wouldn't want to be in one sense trying to no. come up with an answer to try and resolve this conflict because it is such a huge conflict that has gone on for so long that it's become, I mean, whether it's become inbred mm-hmm. into the two sides yeah. um, and it's boiled over into what happened on the 7th of October um, and will continue to boil over for until Jesus returns. Mm-hmm. <coughs> yeah. Because um, I would say probably most, 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 both sides probably don't recognise Jesus as their Lord and Saviour um, until he comes back. Um, they're still going to be fighting. So until those val- those Christ future kingdom values are, are settled and established in place, there will be conflict. Yeah. Um, and isn't that true in all arenas of life? Mm. You know, we, our last episode was a first episode of the book of Revelation talking about the fact that only the ultimate victory comes when uh, Jesus' kingdom is established. Now, that doesn't mean that we we roll over and go, well, we have nothing to say. Because as Christians and as the church, we can pray, we can be involved, we can agitate for good, agitate for the triumph of good over evil. They're the things that we can do Mm. and are called to do. I think sometimes we don't always see the Christians. uh, I don't always see Christians doing that because they just buy into a certain narrative they've heard. Now, back in 2019 on a previous podcast, uh, Christians in Culture, I sat down with Jimmy Brennan and Adam Baer and I had a bit of a conversation with them around the Israeli Palestinian conflict, the tale of Israel. Um, we'll probably touch on some of that again, but you can listen. You can Google Christians in Culture, a tale of two Israels, part one, I think it is, and uh, you'll be able to find a bit there too. But we just thought, let's bring it up to date. Got Phil in front of me who knows this stuff really well. So October 7, what happens on October 7? For those, let's assume that, you know, we don't spend a whole lot of time on it, but let's assume people maybe just know the very simple basics. What happens on October 7? <clears throat> on the, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, Basically, on the seventh of October, the um, Hamas, which are the they were the governing authority that were in Gaza in the Gaza Strip, mm-hmm. um, they broke through the um, this <coughs> um, this wall, um, this territory um, into Israel and uh, took two hundred odd um, hostages, which is against um, the Geneva Convention about. War. Mm-hmm. Um, don't take civilians. Don't take civilians um, hostage. Um, they also um, killed um, 1,100, um, not just Israelis, but also um, foreign workers who were also there, as well as other Palestinians um, who were living in Israel at that time. Um, they decimated many um, homes and communities. Uh, <clears throat> um, and um, as a result of that, uh, Israel retaliated, um, defended themselves by um, going into Gaza and um, continuing a war against Hamas okay. in Gaza. So let's talk about Gaza for a moment. Gaza is a strip of land that's really small. Um, I can't tell you how big it is. Um, uh, at, Canberra? At, at, no, most no. It's, at most it's maybe... 
10 kilometres wide at its most and it's about 50, 60 kilometres long. Is that correct off the top of my head? Possible, something like that. I know I think Americans say it's the size of New Jersey. New Jersey, I think they say. A very small strip of land. Small strip of land that in um, 2005, prior to 2005, Israel was in control of the Gaza Strip. Mm -hmm. Um, By control, they had military occupation of the Gaza Strip. Well, is, um, Jew, Jew, Jewish people, were Israelites were living in the land as yeah, well. Yes. Uh, Am I correct in saying that the Gaza Strip has never been recognised by the United Nations as part of the state of Israel? Is that correct? It's, it's, I think it possible. falls in, okay, not, not, sure. Sure. not sure. I think it falls into the same, it's, it, if you pre-1967 boundaries, it, 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 it falls into um, Palestinian control in the same way that um, the West Bank and the Golan Heights and the Golan Heights was in Syrian control. I thought it might have been in Egyptian it, control. It was in Egyptian control, you're right. right. It yeah. was until Israel in yeah, 67 took it. Yes. Um, so it was under occupation control. Yeah. Um, and in 2005 Israel retreated from there, um, took all its citizens out and erected a massive wall, wall around it and um, allowed the Palestinians to live in there under their own authority. Under their rule. own authority. So a couple um, of things that come out of that <clears throat> was they built a wall. Oh, firstly, I should say that and let, I don't think these stats have changed. Gaza is the second most densely populated place on the planet after New York City. Okay. So if you go number of people living per square kilometre using that or square mile using that that thing, New York City beats Gaza. But New York City is full of massive sky rises. It makes sense, mm. right? So we are talking about a place, there are apartment blocks, obviously, multi-storey apartment blocks in Gaza, but we are talking about a very, there's 2 million people living in a very short period of space. Yeah. Um, so we have that problem. We have a wall being erected and... Um, a, an embargo from sea. So Gaza sits on the Mediterranean coastline, but no one can get in or out of Gaza um, because of this this embargo on the, the ocean. You can't get there by water. You can't get there by land other than uh, special UN peacekeepers, media people, etc., who cross through one of two or three um, gate exits, one from Egypt down the Rafa crossing, which was been in the news, and then I think there's two on the Israeli side. Is that correct? I think there was two. Two, yeah. I think. Um, and, you know, so it's been heavily under guard with people not being able to get in and out since 2005. In 2005, so following the 2005, um, Hamas, there were, there were elections, quote unquote. Mm. I don't know the awareness. How um, and originally it was under the Palestinian Authority. Palestinian Authority, which yeah. is the same authority that control part of the West, the West Bank. Bank, which is actually a derivation that came from the original uh, Palestinian, the PLO. Yep. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that was uh, from, yes, Arafat days. Mm. So, um, yeah, so they had the Palestinian Authority. And in the 2006, 2006, 2007, there was um, an election because um, there and, – and it's not just the inside there. There was not just the Palestinian Authority and Hamas. There was also other factions. Right, yep. Um, they were infighting. My understanding there was a lot of infighting and as well. That's uh, worth picking <coughs> up on that there is multiple factions within Palestine and also that there are multiple factions within Israel as well. And when you think about it, we see the same in our own parliament. So it's just a, it's just worth mentioning that because it's so easy for us to sit at a distance and label oh, all Palestinians are Hamas sympathisers or all Hamas, Palestinian or all Israelis are pro-Bibi Netanyahu. 
that's just an oversimplification of human behaviour, isn't it? It is. It is. If you look at the Israeli parliament, yeah. there is... Um, so many. Uh, was it 260 seats? And there How many parties is, are there? It's, it's huge. Like 50-odd. Yeah. I'm guessing 50-odd, yeah, but there is... Yes, we so can't comprehend parties. that in Australia. No. I mean, we are probably heading towards the potential of a new <laughs> launch party if the Teals all get together, but... Uh, but, you know, nothing like what they're experiencing. They're yeah. trying to form coalitions and do we <coughs> deals across the line. Yeah. So 2007, so, there's an election. Hamas, Hamas is voted in? They are voted in, whether that's by uh, – there's conjecture over about whether it was unfair the, or not. Right. Um, the, the story I've heard is that the whether this is just Hamas propaganda or not, but the story I've heard is that uh, the general Palestinian people, after two years of complete lockdown – they didn't feel the Palestinian Authority were doing enough for them. And Hamas comes along and says, well, we'll do it. We'll do it. And I can understand that that's, that's um, you know, we get yeah. we get the job done yeah. through well, terrorism or whatever. I've been saying that's in Australian politics where we're yep. sort of saying, yeah, we don't like this time because you're not doing what yep. we want, so we'll vote you out and vote somebody else in. That's right. And uh, in an environment like that where you're locked down, that's, that's a human nature yep. thing. Uh, that's yep. essentially most of um, most of political parties in contested parts of the world. This was the news to me, actually. Most parties have military arms or military mm. wings attached to them. That seems foreign to us. We can't mm. imagine a, a military contingent of the, you know, the ALP, for instance. But over there, it was pretty common. Um, yeah. Sinn Féin is, um, was um, a political party okay. that actually had a military, it was the military, military ring thing. of a political party. of the. Yeah. It, was the it was Sinn Féin, you know. So that, oh, yeah, they were the... The classified as the terrorist organisation. Yeah, they were a terrorist organisation. Exactly. Yeah. They were so, but they were a political party with a political with a military wing. Mm. So that sort of thing is not abnormal. Mm. Um, Israel had the same thing mm. during the wars of independence. Israel has had military rings. That Mossad has worked as a military arm. The Ergun in the non in, post the Arab-Israeli war in the state of Israel. So <coughs> it seems incredibly foreign to us. But when you think about it, throughout most of history, that's not the case. I mean, the Roman Empire was a military political empire. Yeah. Yeah. So human empires often have military factions to enforce war and mm. enforce their perspective, don't yeah. they? Yeah. So Hamas <clears throat> came into power and um, yeah, just like anybody who gets given power, um, the authority goes to people's heads. So, yes, they've done um, – they were supposed to be working for the people and it seems like they've looked after themselves to a point. Yeah. But that's sort of my bias um, of what I've heard and read. Seems Same that as, way, doesn't it? Same as if you look at the Israeli government or powers that be, uh, yeah, looking after themselves. Yeah. <clears throat> Same. It's human nature. Yeah, um, sadly. But yeah. Yes, it is. And it's um, the opposite of Christ's yeah. nature. And Hamas was started prior to that in, um, my understanding, was in Lebanon. Yes. Um, as, as a terrorist organisation and it's still classified as a terrorist organisation um, and their game, um, ultimate goal was to push Israel. Out. Yeah, that's it. that's in that's their stated charter to, yeah. to uh, completely annihilate Israel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's, <clears throat> you know, whatever we're going to say beyond here, I think it's worth establishing that Hamas aren't the good guys either. No. You know, they're, they're, they're certainly not on, in the good list. Hmm. Um, you know, the fact that they, they seem to have no problems whatsoever hiding themselves among... Um, civilians. civilians, which is what adds to the complication and what's obviously going to add to a lot of the complaints that people have against the Israelis. Bearing in mind that, you know, we're gonna, you're going to hear us, we're not going to be pro-Israel either, but bearing in mind that it's very hard to fight a war when 
uh, against anybody when the enemy combatants are hiding themselves among civilians. That to yeah. me is highly unethical. Yes. Um, and it's against it's probably against international law. I think it is um, to do that. To do yeah. that, you've got to separate out your civilians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing is with the <clears throat> embargo that's on um, Gaza, um, they was not allowed. They were restricted of what they could um, could what could come into the country. Um, anything that might have been used for um, weapons. Um, was not allowed in. Um, so my understanding is like concrete wasn't allowed in. Yep. Um, so they were um, – there was restrictions on the food and all sorts of things going in there. So they the – civilians so, were – So no such thing as a dumb question then. Where the heck do they get the materials to make <coughs> rockets? I have no idea. Um, there are tunnels under there, so tunnels – I'm guessing from I would guess from Egypt because there's tunnels that were going from Gaza into Israel as well. Yep. Um, ultimately, they I don't <coughs> how they got so many um, yeah. weapons inside. They got I tens of thousands of rockets, so uh, they have to be. I mean, I'm sure they can manufacture them if they've got the machinery yeah. in there, but they have to have the uh, materials yeah. to be able to make. Yeah. No, I haven't. Never, I've never yeah. known that, but just the the sheer volume of weaponry they seem to have. But, Definitely took them a long, a lo- taking a long time to accumulate, to accumulate, accumulate all the stuff. Yeah. So the last yeah. war in Gaza, I think, was twenty-one. Yes, yeah, um, and that only lasted nine six days. Weeks. Was it that long? Was it? Six oh, I think you didn't think it was that long. Oh, it was nothing it was like. Short, it was nothing like this. It was a short one. period of time yeah. where they um, they threw a couple of rockets yeah. over, and Israel retaliated. Am I right in saying this is now the longest war in Arab in Israeli history, modern yes. Israel, state of Israel? Yes. 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 And this is the worst atrocity, I'm going to say, the worst atrocity in the history since um, Israel was started. On both sides. Both sides. Okay. Um, With having 1,100, over 1,100 people killed. Is that more than the original Arab-Israeli War of 1948? Must be. That's that's phenomenal to me. And that was a short war. Or definitely it was um, like 1,100 people killed in one day. Yeah, yeah, Um, right. It's the worst atrocity. Yeah. Um, Hmm. Um, so Israel, being, um, Gaza being under military lockdown in one sense, but um, but Israel will say that they're um, independent and being governed independently. Yes, but under a lot of restrictions. I think it was uh, Prime Minister really Ariel Sharon who did that, if I'm correct. Who I think it might have been him who pulled out in 2005. I may be wrong. Maybe it was, mm, he could. Could be, don't know, but right. yeah, that was very much it. Well, you you guys are causing us so much headaches. We'll just leave you to yourselves. You sort yourselves out. A bit like telling the kids to go and fight their own thing, sort but, themselves out. But yeah, but here we won't give you anything to. We're not going to give you anything to fight yeah, with, yeah. and we're going to put up a wall and leave you in there. But basically, like the arguments would say it's it's basically a ghetto. Yeah. Um. Th- this is this bit that I find challenging, <clears throat> and I'm sure that a super pro Israeli would be able to present a different view to this. But in my mind, it just sounds too much like what Israel, what the Jews went through in Warsaw and in the ghettos prior to the war when they were all rounded up and locked up Mm. and put in caged areas. It just, to me, it's like, it seems ironic that people who've been, it was their parents and their grandparents' generation experienced that and now they seem to be doing the same to Gazans and to Palestinians in the West Bank. Um, and I, I know they will argue that there's different, but there's, there's a lot of similarities too. It does seem similar. Um, and 
Israel will say, but we gave you autonomy to look after yourselves and this is what you've done. <clears throat> Which If there's no yeah. land to grow anything, no, no, no way to manufacture anything, no ability to import or export, export. that does sound like... That sounds like you're locked down in a prison camp. Yeah. And, well, one thing I do know is the the medical treatment inside Gaza before 7th of October um, was very limited. And if you, I'm going to use the example if your child had um, cancer and needed treatment, to get permission to leave Gaza to go inside Israel to get treatment um, was a lengthy process. Right. Um, many... Um, it wasn't just a two-week turnaround. Right. It would have been months. To of, the point where obviously, sadly, many many, many, many people have died have while wow. waiting for treatment. And then if the person is going to go over into Israel, it's usually by themselves. Right. So you're sending a child yeah. for treatment to a place that… On their own, into a strange country. Yeah, I can… Who, so who that, usually don't… Um, people in goodness. Gaza generally don't speak Hebrew. No, um, I can't imagine what Arabic. that would be like. Um, so there's a lot of restrictions. Yeah, okay. Um, and Israel justify their restrictions. Um, they have a class. As self-protection. As self-protection. Yeah, um, yeah. We've got a right to protect ourselves. Yeah. They, um, this is where my pro-Palestinian sort of bent is a little bit, is the, the laws that are um, in Israel, uh, depending on where you live, depends on what, level of um, what law or restrictions applies to you. Um, So if you're an Israeli mm -hmm. um, or Jewish Israeli, you've got full autonomy. You can do, Mm -hmm. you can live wherever you like. You can um, earn income. You can do whatever you like. Um, You can drive wherever you like. If you are an Israeli-Palestinian or they call Israeli-Arab, so if you live within um, Israel, the defined borders pre-67 line, um, you so, for instance, Nazareth would probably be the most one of the most prominent Nazareth, Arab Haver. towns. It's almost <coughs> predominantly yep. Arab Muslim town. Yep. yep. Um, or Arab Haver. Christian too. Yep. Arab Christian and Arab Muslim. Um, yep. um, Haifa. Um, there is. Um, you've. You're on a different passport. You're right. on a. Um, and you are restricted on where you can go, yep. where your class study sort of things. Yep. There's um, restrictions on that. If you live in the West Bank, depending on where you live in the West Bank. Because um, the West Bank is controlled, there's three levels of three control. levels of control in the West Bank. Um, you'll hear area A, B, and C. Um, a is now. I, can't I, I think A is 100 percent under the control of the Palestinian Authority. I think that's the could way be. Could be. Um, B is shared, and C yeah. is Israeli control. Um, Pretty sure that's the right way around, yeah. but it could be reversed. Yeah. So, um, so if you uh, live in um, the West Bank, you're restricted on what roads you can drive on. Um, you can't drive on a um, Israeli Road. road. Um, the the settlements, the occupy uh, the Israeli Jewish settlements. You can't go into those areas. Um, to travel in between areas, you're restricted. There is checkpoints. Um, to go into Israel, um, there is um, military checkpoints to allow you, and you'd have to have working permits, visas to get through those sort of checkpoints. If you live in um, the Palestinian control West bank you cannot go anywhere outside outside those areas um and if you live in gaza you're in a totally different area totally different yes and a lot of them have got family inside the west bank but they're separated by two out two plus hours of driving through israel to get there so Mm. there's entire family members that haven't been able to see each other from 
uh, you know, it was split mm. between the West Bank and the Palestine um, and, and Gaza Strip. And so, the new there's a new law, a couple of years old, that if you wanted to marry somebody from if you're in the West Bank and you want to marry somebody in East Jerusalem, basically, you're if you live in um, they can't cannot get married, and if you um, so the person in the West Bank can't move to East Jerusalem. And vice versa. Um, no, the person in East Jerusalem could move, move to the West Bank. But they will lose their citizenship, their citizenship status. Okay. So uh, let, let's, let's just, if we just stop on that, I mean, obviously I'm going to, we'll, we'll argue, let's force ourselves to argue the pro-Israeli pro side in a moment. But <clears throat> if you're just listening to everything we've just said, and if you can just park any biblical bias and end times bias and belief about the state of Israel being God or any, you know, God's land or whatever, just transplant what we've just said into any other uh, nation on earth. I think it would be very hard to think that what we have just heard is okay. Mm. Is 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 a is a good way to govern. Is is a fair treatment of any other ethnic people group. Mm. Okay. I just think of the thing of unfortunately, um, it's like what um, Australia, white Australians have done to our indigenous population. My point exactly. From back in the. 50s. Good example. Whatever, until they Good became um, recognised as citizens. Yeah. Um, sort of along that bent. Yeah, it, and yeah. that's right. And this is this is history repeating itself in that there's always one power that is in power. The people who are in power will use that power for the benefit of the people and, this, and the people oh. that have the power. And, you know, Tim Mackey talks about it on his, on his um, justice video and he says, you know, history has shown time and time again that when the oppressed get power, they become the oppressors. Mm. Why is that? Well, I think that's human nature. I think that deep down inside, there's something inside all of us that wants control. It's what we mm. want to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We mm. want to define what's good for ourselves, and it's always at the defense at the at this um, effect or expense. Of, that's what I'm after. Expense of someone else. Mm. And I think that's not. A, it's not a Palestinian issue. It's not. A, it's not an Israeli issue. It's not a, 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 a um, you know. Irish Republican <coughs> Army issue or anything. It's just a human, human issue, nature. whether it happens in Zimbabwe, wherever it happens in the world, Russia, Ukraine. It's a human condition problem where we we um, suppress those. No, so I think it would be hard to think that anything we've just said is um, acceptable and, uh, you know, to have that level of control over people. Now, let's flip the thing on its head because the argument from Israel is we – do those things to protect ourselves. We have to do those things because of the challenges that we've had, because of terrorist attacks. So there's a wall around Gaza. There's another wall around the West Bank. And their argument was, well, there was an uprising, an intifada, which is an uprising, terrorist attacks, et cetera, et cetera. So we build these walls and put these these things in place to protect ourselves. That's the Israeli argument. What validity is there in that argument historically, for instance? Well, I know Israel will say that, well, it's actually reduced the number of terrorist attacks because if you um, go back to hearing about that, it was like there was suicide bombers um, left, right and centre mm-hmm. um, throughout Jerusalem. So about 2002, Two, the second intifada, which was an was. uprising in the West Bank that yeah. led to the wall being built. Yeah. yeah. There was a number of terrorist yeah. attacks inside yeah. Israel because they had no wall so they could just come and go as they pleased. Mm. Yeah. So there was, um, yeah, um, bus bombings um, quite re- um, regularly. So quite a lot of people felt unsafe in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sort of gives them the uh, validation. That's the validation for those rules. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, what's the history of terrorism in the state of Israel? Like how 
is, is this a new thing? Is this something that's been there from the beginning? I'm just, what I'm mm. trying to do is paint the picture of why Israel, because clearly for Israel to be that, in, to enforce themselves that much, they, they will argue at least that they aren't doing it to control and have power. Like, uh, you know, take the Roman Empire. They had the Roman emperors didn't care. Mm. They just did what they want for their own fat to line their own pocket, pockets. <clears throat> Israel's argument is no, no, we're not doing it for that. We're doing that. We're doing that to protect our people mm. from this enemy that is hell bent on terrorizing us and destruction and get, launching yeah. destruction. So it's it's not to their argument is we're not enforcing people. We, we'd rather not have to do this. But we have to do this to protect our own people. That that mm. goes back to 1948 probably, it does, does it not? It does. It goes <clears throat> um, probably before that, um, oh, actually throughout Jewish history. Right. Um, True. I mean Jewish people have always been, suffered. Um, yeah. If you yeah. look at the when they were in Europe. In Eastern um, Europe. Before, yep. before the Second World War. Um, they were being rounded up and, and um, executed they were. by uh, Eastern Europeans, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, they were being pushed out. In Spain there was a massive ex, um, expulsion of the Jews from um, that area um, before. Um, so Jewish people have been oppressed over the years. No uh, no question about no. that. Absolutely uh, not. <clears throat> uh, My question is what level of oppression then justifies an oppressor an oppressed person then becoming the oppressor, and that's the, that's, that's the challenging bit that I is, wrestle with. It is it is a challenge. Um, I'm just saying, like because of the Holocaust, um, I know that became a rally cry. Uh, yeah, and totally, um, and I mean, totally justifiable. Seven million that, Jews. I mean, I totally understand yeah, and that. that, and and not yeah. having a place to call their own and their own security. Hmm. Um, so let's do whatever we can to keep our own security. Um, and defend ourselves. And if you look at the forty-eight, um, when Israel became uh, so maybe maybe some a little bit of history here. Just at this moment, we've got maybe take five or ten minutes just to talk about the history from say briefly from the mid eighteen hundreds, the beginning of the Zionist movement. Mm. How familiar are you with that component? So the last fifty years of the nineteenth century. Um, <coughs> well, the early stages bit, of Zionism. Yeah. You know a bit about that? Uh, a little bit. So in. Um, 1890 or so. Yeah, it might not have even been 1850. It could have been well, the latter part well, of the 19th century uh, anyway. Later yeah. part of the 19th century, a, um, a bloke in um, Europe um, who started the probably thought that it was like, okay, us Jews, Jewish people, we don't have a homeland. Is that Herzl? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. thought it was. Yep. Um, we don't have a homeland. We don't have a space that we can call our own. So he started pushing for that. Uh, for a return to well, Palestine. <clears throat> Initially he was, we want a homeland. Right. Whether that was in Palestine um, as, oh. at that day or. Or uh, America or anywhere else. There it was, was anywhere. Anywhere, yes, um, that's right. There was, um, Argentina was. That's right, yes, around. that's correct. That anywhere where spot. we could have a, because um, ethnic groups historically that don't have a land don't have safety. Yeah. Uh, that's, you see, mm. I don't know enough about sort of. Eastern European ethnic groups and all that sort of stuff, but that's often been an issue up in that part of the world too. Yeah, yeah. people get ethnically cleansed if they don't have a land. Mm. We're seeing that with the Uyghurs in China at the moment. Mm. They're an ethnic group within yeah. China that are being persecuted because mm. they don't they're not allowed mm. to have their own land. Yeah, and I'm just going to just had thought of the Crusades where they were yeah. like, "Yep, you're a Jewish or Muslim, um, we don't like you, so we're going to kill you." Yep, um, to take a to and we'll do it in the name of Jesus. This, yeah, which is sad. Which is the opposite of what we're talking about in this now. podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, he started um, saying oh, we, we need to have a land of our own and that was the start of the push. So um, 
political movement started, the Zionist movement. So the Zionist and movement is not a religious movement at no. this point? No, it's a no, secular, it's a secular ethnic state yeah. movement. Yeah. So religion, I'm going to, my understanding or my thoughts, religion had really no point to it. It's just because I'm Jewish, I need to have a homeland. Mm-hmm. Um, so religion doesn't, doesn't um, so come in into Israel, that. you don't have to be religious as long as you can um, show that your whatever your mother's side is Jewish, you can go and live there. Do you have to be circumcised if you're a man? Um, <clears throat> I don't think you do. I don't think you do. No. Because they don't – um, Israel is a – It's uh, a secular state. A secular yeah. society. So there's not a religious requirement for circumcision no. either. No. If you want to be orthodox – If you're an orthodox, yes. Then you need – Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Now, I wasn't sure, but I yeah. assumed that was the case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just sort of thinking you walk walk through the um, yeah, yeah. customs. <laughs> Drop your Prove, prove you're a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yes. Uh, so, yeah, so that sort of led up to um, yeah, Israel will say that. In so during Jew- that time, time yep. basically for 500 years, Israel has been under Turkish the land of Palestine has been under, under Turkish, Turkish rule, yep. part of the Ottoman Empire. Yep. Yes. Um, and I can't remember when, but um, I was the second. It was the First World War that England took ownership over the Palestine area. Yeah, with um, with the help of a few Aussies on horses that they'd never really admitted to. Yeah. But yes, that's yeah. right. So, <clears throat> so they had, as far as I'm as far as I'm aware, the 500 years that they were in Turkish rule is the longest time in history where one empire has controlled that part of the world. So by a long way. Could be, yeah. Yeah. So um, the the Israeli empire, the Israeli kingdom, times the period of the kingdoms didn't even last that long. No. So to be under one rule up from basically from Solomon all the way through until World War II, World War I, when the Allied forces took back Jerusalem um, after the Battle of Beersheba and took back Jerusalem a few months later and they – Basically, defeated the Ottoman Empire. It doesn't exist anymore. They defeated yeah. it after five hundred years, didn't they? Mm. At yeah. That point. Yeah. And my understanding is, I'm generalising, is that everybody who lived in that land was basically allowed to live under their own. Like they were not under during the Ottoman, time, Ottoman period. Yes. Um, they were not under um, military rule of under no. the thumb of no. A that's dictator. Like, that's my understanding too. Is that um, during uh, certainly I can't comment about what it was like in 15, 1600, but certainly for the Hundred years or so yeah. over the eighteen hundreds, maybe even into yeah. the late seventeen hundreds, it was a very, it was a relatively peaceful time. Jews yeah. and Palestinians lived and, yeah. in relative safety and yeah. and got along side by side yeah, without worked, a massive, worked, worked with each other. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is important to know, folks, because you know we think this is a long-standing war, but the fact is, for the better part of a hundred years, Jews and Palestinians got on with each other. Yeah. Oh, and maybe that's is, an extreme to say they got on with each other, but they tolerated one tolerate, another. Tolerate it worked. Yeah. It yeah. largely worked, yes. Um, I think I have read recently that it was with the movement of um, people from, I'm going to say from Europe. Yes, okay. Who so were coming into the land. Filling to, up the land. Filling up the land, buying the buying land and justify themselves. That, that caused more of the friction. That started the road down to a friction. And okay, so let, I know we're trying to present a pro-Israeli's perspective yep. here, but I can understand if I'm a Palestinian living in the country and I've been there. I mean, the Jews the Jews will argue, oh, it's our ancient right to live there, but that's actually a Christ, that's actually a Jewish, it's probably the Christians that argue that point more well, than anybody else actually because it serves, it serves our purposes because of certain theology we have. But I can understand how if I'm a Palestinian living in that land and suddenly I'm being overtaken by foreigners who haven't 
lived here for 2000 or 1900 years. Because a lot, I mean, yeah, Israel did not exist as a nation since 130, I think it was, or 128 AD. Mm. It was the end of Israel as a nation. So there's been no land. So I can understand an influx of people mm. causing some grief there. Yeah. And well, backtracking a little bit um, with the 1917, the Balfour, Balfour Declaration, Declaration, which was a, a British politician who wrote out Jewish people need to have a homeland in Palestine or was like trying to make a guarantee. Unfortunately, people on both sides of the politics sort of thing um, didn't fulfil. Didn't do that. Didn't no. do that. So with The intention was going to happen fairly soon. And, and yeah. We get to World War Two and it hasn't even happened yet, has it? No, no. So there was a lot of, if you read it, there's a lot of promise, broken promises all over the place. Yeah. Um, British didn't do it. Other people, other um, cultures didn't do it either. So mm-hmm. there's blame on everybody's side yep. about that. And meanwhile um, the state of Palestine under the Palestinian, under this mandate is just sitting in this time of flux. Yeah. And the British mandate that had control from the First World War to the Second World War, there was a lot of, yeah, infighting back. Um, there was a lot of tension um, having this oppressing, like the British oppressing. Oh, so the, the, the locals felt they were being oppressed by the colonial British. Okay. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> gotcha. So there was a lot of, you could, um, there's a lot of history between the um, the Palestinians and the Jewish sort of, and trying to get um, control, not control, but to try and get some semblance of order and stuff from the British who were not doing the right thing at times. Yeah, sure. What, our English friends weren't perfect? No. 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 So in, when you, if you hear the story that, um, because originally like from the Balfour Declaration more around that area, they were saying that Palestinian area was not occupied. Yes, that's correct. It wasn't uh, occupied, they were saying. So that's why we can give it to yeah. the Jewish people. Because There's a standard argument that, that most of the land was lying there fallow and had been for a long time because the Palestinians had their chance to do something with it and never did. Yeah. That's been the argument I've heard. Yeah, and okay, they have not done it. They, I'm going. This is my reading. They did not do what the Western Europeans would, would do in building up high-rises and all those yeah. sorts of like yeah. really... Because um, they were a lot of them were nomadic tribes and um, Bedouin tribes and things like that, weren't they? Yes and no, because right. there was a lot of towns. Okay, yeah, a lot of towns. There was a, a lot, lot of, of towns yeah. in there before 1948. Right. Yep. Um, a lot of settlements. If you look at um, Jaffa. Yeah, uh, yeah, true. Yep. That the was whole it. towns yep. were being, well, when 1948, whole towns were, were kicked raised, out raised to the ground. Yeah. So there was people in the land and they were thriving. In right. their own in their own right in in their in their perspective. So yeah. a, a European comes in and goes, that doesn't look like thriving to me. We'll we'll we we think thriving is more is, is irrigation and and bringing restoring the land back to its beauty and all that sort of stuff. But that's just the uh, we can argue that, but that's that's really just a European's colonial perspective on something like yes. this. Yeah, and that's neither right nor wrong. It's just a tension it's there. Yeah. So what what happens? We we let's go track through. We got to we get through this period between the wars. When the British mandate is just clearly not working, yep. we get to nineteen. We get to nineteen forty-eight. We get through World War Two. We get through the Holocaust and the horrors of that. And there's a growing sentiment, even more so, and understandably so. These people need their own land yeah. because look what happens when they don't have it. Yeah. Um, and they were determined that that would never happen again. So there was not just a growing pro-return sentiment from among Jews. There were from among many non-Jews as well, wasn't mm. there? That that they needed to be. <laughs> They need to be given definitely, some land. Definitely, it was. Yeah, I'm gonna. Um, the whole and place, I understand. That, oh, definitely. 100%. So there was a bit of oh, we're now responsible. 
yeah. sort of the powers that be were yeah. like, oh, we're now responsible, we need to do something so that the Jewish people don't don't end up in the similar situation that Again. happened in World War Two. And the British, who've done nothing with it, give or take, for the last 30 years, they just find that this brand new organisation that the, mm. they've set up post-World War Two called the United Nations and they just handball the whole thing straight they to them, do. don't they? They, were like, they just go, you go, your problem now. Yeah, too hard for us. <laughs> yeah. um, so they, yeah, United Nations agree for this land. They set up, a, they actually declare that on May the 15th, 1948, the State of Israel will it be, will come into existence. existence. Which is never been heard of before. It's never happened before, no. no. So they create, they just arbitrarily create, a, well, it's not arbitrary, that's a bit, I mean, that, that, but uh, people would argue <clears throat> it's arbitrary, but they just literally create boundary lines for a country yep. that just cuts straight through the middle of what was already there and just says, right, this is now Jewish State right. of Israel. Um, so they know that's coming. They know that that's going to be happening on May the 15th. So immediately what happens um, ahead of that is the um, Arab countries that surround Israel, of which there are four directly surrounding Israel yeah. or maybe five. Um, no, four, I think. You've got Egypt, Egypt Jordan, Jordan Syria, Syria and Lebanon. Lebanon. I was trying to think, no, Saudi Arabia doesn't. No, no. Order, no so further down. Four. So those four countries, <laughs> this is the bit that always confuses me, with the assistance of the English, yes, with the assistance of the British, just think about that for a minute, they launch an assault on the new state of Israel centred spe- specifically on Jerusalem. Is that correct? Um, well, well yeah. actually, Jerusalem yeah. to Tel Aviv all the way through. Or the whole whole yeah. area. The whole area, right, yeah. okay. But there was a lot of fighting beforehand because um, you had You've got the, skirmishes. Yeah, so you had the Jewish Haganah, the Hagar, Hagar. Haganah, um, Haganah, which yep. became the Mossad. Yep. Um, so they were. They're, ter- a, they're a, an independence terrorist group kind yeah. of thing, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. They're so Jewish. They were from Jewish terrorists. Yes, Jewish would, terrorists. Um, yeah, go around and yeah, murder lots of yep. people. And there was vice versa coming back. Yeah, um, there was so, there uh, was a build up of hatred. Yeah. Um, so <coughs> don't for a moment think that that the Israelis were per- perfect in this, and don't for a moment think that the Palestinians were perfect in this, because there was hatred on both sides, leading to violence. Hatred. Yeah. Hatred gives birth to death. Yeah. You know, John says, you know, we give birth to sin, it gives birth to death, etc. That's what we were seeing. Yeah. But at this point there becomes, I've never quite understood why, maybe you, you can tell me but why, but at this point there becomes a concerted effort from these Arab nations to try to immediately cease to allow the state of Israel to exist. Is that correct? Like they literally go to war. It's called oh. the 1948 Arab-Israeli <clears throat> War. Yeah, they literally on that morning they were... Um the state of Israel is being attacked. Yeah, um, and the Arab nations thought that they could wipe out the the Jewish um, mm-hmm. the Jewish people. The state of Israel mm-hmm. um, didn't happen. Didn't happen uh, in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, um, Israel Israel is able to sustain itself and and survive on those boundaries, um, on those boundaries that the United Nations gave them. I'm guessing so. I'm not I, sure. I, th- I don't. I'm, Sure that they did establish some boundaries, but whether that was the same as whether what was, was the same. Right. or not. But in the process of establishing their boundaries over a period of time, they did, the Jewish nation pushed out a the, lot of the, the Arab population that were living on that land. Yes. Um, and they're saying 750,000 people yes. were kicked out of the land. Yes. And many of those were just kicked out into the desert and left to themselves. It was like they would argue, we didn't kill you. 
we pushed you out. We pushed you out, but they had nowhere to go. Yeah. So there was obviously death that was related to that. And that was all part of them establishing their state. Mm. We we can't both coexist, so you've got to go kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I think there was still a lot of people being killed. Right. Um, so in the process of kicking people out. Yes. Um, and on both sides, both, there was yeah. definitely there were definitely um, military arms on both sides yeah. that were angry and killing uh, innocent people yeah. in the process of, um, yeah. I mean, I've read definitely accounts on both sides where that was happening. Yeah. Um, and you still, and still now you do have um, refugees in Lebanon and in Syria. And in the West Bank. And, yeah, well, and, that's slightly well, different, but yes, they're yeah. pushed into there. Um, but yes, there's refugees on those borders. Yeah. So 1948, the Arab-Israeli war finishes. I don't know, it takes just a couple of months or something. I think it's a couple of months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not very long. And then um, the next major thing that comes along is 1967. Yeah. Is that correct? The 67 yeah. six-day war? Yes. Tell um, us about that one. So prior, um, the original lines um, was the Gaza Strip was not part of Israel, the West Bank um, and Jerusalem. Uh, and West, got, uh, East Jerusalem, yes. And, West and, Jerusalem was under Israeli control um, up to the – up yeah, to the yeah. basically up to the Jaffa the Gate. old city, the Jaffa Gate, yeah. and then everything else was in Jordanian um, control. Yeah, yeah, so Jordan had control of um, of the old city of Jerusalem, of the old city of Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, um, Al Aqsa Mosque, Mount of uh, Olives, um, Mount of Olives, yep. Bethlehem, yep. Um, uh, all the way up to the Golan Heights, and also um, Lebanon had um, land also in northern Israel, in northern yep. Israel as well. And the six six day war was. Um, um, it's ingenious of the of the Jewish nation of they were had inklings that the attacks were coming more than inklings. And I mean, so there was pretty vivid threats that yeah. coming from, coming from all three nations, nations from Egypt, Egypt, Syria, Syria and Jordan. Jordan. Um, um, that, yeah, that they were going to come and get them. And so Israel preempted and attacked first and pushed uh, the Egyptian army took over. Um, the whole Sinai Peninsula. So what what they did with Egypt is they um, basically it was it was supposed to be Shabbat, I think it was supposed to be a public holiday of some kind, yeah. and so the Egyptians thought that the Israelis would all be having their public holiday, and they scrambled their aircraft and bombed the airfields of the Egyptian um, air force while all their planes were still on the ground, so mm. they couldn't get them off the ground. So they yeah. basically had immediate control of the air, yeah. and from then on, that was the end. That part of it, yeah. yeah. So the yeah um, <clears throat> Sinai Peninsula was taken over. So it was the what we call the West Bank and Golan Heights in six days. Yeah, the other nations got their butt get kicked. Mm. Uh, I, I was listening place. recently, and probably one of, one of the um, one of the threats that came from maybe the Egyptian leader at the time was something to the effect of, "Oh, we're going to wipe out Israel in six days." Yeah. So it was almost like it was complete reverse of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a huge defeat from the Arab nations that were trying yeah. to take over. Which is amazing to me that this small fledgling country completely surrounded by Arab superpowers has always managed to win. Mm. Probably got a lot to do with the US military budget assistance. I don't know. But that does continually mm. happen, doesn't it? Yeah. So so at that point they annex the West Bank yep. and claim it as their own. That's the big one that's up until up until most recently with Gaza. But they West Bank Gaza and the Golan Heights. The Golan Heights probably isn't as contested these days as it was. No. Phil broke his ankle in the Golan Heights, so yeah, missed out yeah. on a lot of that. But right up we on the Syrian border. But there's a United Nations peace 
keepers up there, yeah. um, but it's less contested because it's way from most of where the Syri- Syrian civil war is happening, which is further north. But the West Bank certainly and the Gaza Strip are still he- highly contested. And so Israel uh, Israel took over these these areas and said they're under our control. Now, this has been the problem is the United Nations has never recognised that. No. They still recognise them as under Palestinian control. As, as um, occupied, occupied territories. Occupied territories. That's right. That's the term you'll hear, that they're yeah. occupied territories. In the same way that they would argue the same way that the Romans or the Assyrians or the Babylonians occupied territories mm. as, a, as an empire, basically, yeah. or the British did, yeah. occupied India or any of its yeah. colonies. Um, in that way, that's how the United Nations recognise it. Israel refused to acknowledge it that way. Yeah. And because um, under occupied territory... United, like United Nations law, occupied territory, um, the law is that you cannot move um, your civilians into, into the an occupied, occupied territory, territory to, to live, to yeah, build. That's and correct. so Israel have Israel have re- that. repeatedly built um, settlements <coughs> inside occupied territory. <coughs> yeah. And their argument is, no, no, we want this, we have this, we have every right to this. So they, so Israel is, regardless of which side of the fence you, feel, you, you sit on personally, it's important to recognise the United Nations does not recognise Israel's claim to the West Bank or the Gaza Strip or the Golan mm. Heights. So it's contested territory in that way. Yeah. They've got all their reasons why. We haven't got time to go into all their reasons why. They have that to give themselves a buffer from enemy attack, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing is, like you say, probably the big contestation of more recent, the last couple of decades, has been the fact that they are moving into this land and building against international law, yeah. building settlements there. Yeah, and they're using their law to define the territories. One example is they've redefined or they have stipulated that a particular area is a firing zone. Right. But it's been Palestinian land since the day one in that sense that the, the people who are living on that land and own that land but... But um, now it's... But Israel has framed it saying right. that it's um, firing zone. So for the last 20 years they've been trying to, going through the court right. system to try and say, no, this is my land, no, it's your land sort of. And now Israel have sided with that it is a firing zone so right. all the people who live in those areas are being forced out. Right, okay. Uh, so now let's now go because that, that, that paints that picture of how much contestation there is now. Now um, as we move into our final mm-hmm. segment of the conversation, I guess, I'm thinking through the lines of, because it is a case of which comes first, the chicken or the egg. The Israelis are saying, well, you know, we are doing this to defend ourselves. We are attacking Hamas or we are invading the West Bank to protect ourselves. And the Palestinians are saying, well, no, the reason we're fighting back is because you've invaded us. And so trying to sort out the chicken and the egg is impossible Mm -hmm. here. I, you know, even as in, like I said, was it pre, was it 1948? The fact that the Arabs just came at them straight away, that's had the Israeli backup. Maybe so, but you were saying that there was already... Um, skirmishes happening prior to 1948. Yeah. So this is a bit like when you're having two kids trying to sort out who started it. Um, you know, and so you get to a point where you've got to go, it doesn't matter who started it, we need to fix, fix this. Now. Yep. You know, and but I'm just saying what to say, you can understand why Israelis are doing what they're doing, but I can also understand why Palestinians would take on someone like Hamas and say, well, you no one else will fight for us, but you will. Yep. We want revenge. Because they've seen the results of an Israeli bombing that's blown up a a town and, you know, blown up a, a house and people have been killed in the rubble. Israelis have seen, like most recently, October 7, they've seen, uh, you know, these young people at a dance festival, ironically, by the way, the very people who probably would have been pro 
Palestinian. That's yeah. part of the thing is that the younger generation of Israelis, the millennials and the Gen Zs, they're actually quite pro-peace. They're not, they're not all as hardline as some of the older generation yeah. are in terms of pro-Israel. So the, the people who've been harmed and killed were probably the ones who were advocating for a degree of trying to figure this out. So that's, that's, that's there. So you've got now got this hatred and this sense of defense on both sides. Mm. And as we get in pro post 1967 and we get through to, you know, 2002, we have the rise of the PLO under Yasser Arafat and others, which is basically a terrorist organization hell bent for want of a better word on terrorist attacks for the purpose of um, retaliation against what they perceive to be an oppressive regime. But it's fair to say their mandate really, by and large, is really they want Israel gone completely. Then yeah. some many of those extreme groups don't want Israel to exist. It's also fair to say many of the extreme right conservative Israeli groups probably don't want Palestine to exist either. They would no. rather they would just say just go and live in Jordan or go and live in Lebanon. Don't don't bother us. I mean, I'm not saying every Israeli thinks that or every Palestinian thinks that, but that's there among some factions, isn't it? Oh, well and truly. Well and truly, you've got the extremes on both sides, yeah. which you don't hear about. Oh, you sorry, you only hear about those extremes. Right. You don't hear about the other people the who the efforts live, for peace. The efforts for peace within Israel and within Palestine, um, there is many organisations who want to live in harmony with well, each we, other. Which is we, had, we were planning, you were planning for us to have our Israel trip in May. We were going to have a Palestinian and an Israeli come and speak to us one night in our hotel, weren't we, yes. and, and talk through the, their perspectives on where they're at and how we can, people who are trying to give different perspectives but also vying for peace. Yeah. Yeah. So which, yeah, they don't get the publicity because it's like a um, what the squeaky wheel gets the... Yeah. Media, it's yeah, yeah. which is um, very worth saying is that none of us are going to hear the full story. You know, I hear the stats out of Gaza, the the toll, and in my mind, I go, okay, but that's coming out of. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not happening, but I'm aware that those those figures are coming from a Gaza authority. So on the outside looking, in, how do I know without an independent review that those stats aren't being overinflated? Hmm. But I'm also aware that I could hear the same pro-Israeli propaganda from the Israeli side. So as a person sitting back, I just need to be able to think clearly enough to know I don't think I can be in a position where I could say 100% that I support one or the other because I don't have enough of the facts. True, true. And I'm with you, like the propaganda is like depends on who you listen to, whether in uh, the West Bank and there's um, attacks happening between mm. the out, um, Jewish settlers, the outposts and the um, Palestinians. depends on who you listen to, whether it's... The settlers attacking the Palestinians or vice or, versa? Or the, um, yeah, the settlers, yeah, are they, um, yeah, attacking the Palestinians or they're defending themselves against terrorists? Right. So it depends on which side. If you're coming from a Jewish side, the pro-Israel side, all the Palestinians are terrorists. Even yes. though they might be a six-year-old child. Yeah. That's right. They're potential terrorists, so therefore so, strike first or be struck. Yeah. See, I think that's one of the things that's probably got me yeah. in recent times is that I, I kind of always probably naively assumed that all the attacks inside the West Bank, even though I didn't agree with the West Bank settlements, Israel settling there, all the attacks were coming from Palestinians who were attacking the settlers. But I've since realised that's not necessarily always the case. There are settlers roam, There are settlers roaming around with guns, the backs of cars, telling people you can't be here and running them off their land. 
and that's not even inside settled territory. So no, no. and reported um, attacks have increased numerous times since the seventh of October. Yeah, um, and that's not in Gaza. That's in the, the West, West Bank. Bank. This is yeah. another Palestinian yeah. contested territory. Yeah. And so, depending on you, who you listen to, depends on which slant which it side is. you get. And so, I personally, I I try and get information from both sides. Right. So I I um, watch um. Or, read um, Al Jazeera, Al Jazeera to get which is some, a very yep. pro-Palestinian yep. slant, um, but also there is a, I can't think of what it's called, but there's a an Israeli news yep. that's in English. Yep. And um, I can see it's the same it's the same, same story being told from two, two different, different narratives. Sides. Absolutely. So yeah. I sort of go, well, where's the middle ground? Yeah, that's, that's right. What I'm what, trying to Good on you. And I think if we can encourage out. our people to do that, as you listen yeah. to this, just you know, not everyone is interested in getting into it in that depth, but if you do want to form an opinion, think well about it. But I, I would advocate for the most important opinion we can have is to champion humanity. Yeah, Jesus is about that. Mm. So Jesus' narrative when it comes to how to deal with oppressive powers is never to fight back against those mm. oppressive powers. We recorded an episode on Revelation and looking at how nowhere, nowhere in any of Jesus' words to the seven churches, as we are next week's episode, not next week, but, you know, in a few weeks' time when we do it, um, nowhere in the seven churches that Jesus speaks to, even though he's talking to an oppressed people, does he advocate, he's got his chance to say something to every seven church, none of them does he say, fight back. No. None of them. So there's a different way, and the way is the way of the cross. The way is the way of giving up yourself. So, you know, in that sense, what should a Christian do with this situation? A Christian should lament the horrors and atrocities, the dehumanization on both mm. sides, because any that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing Israelis dehumanizing Gazans so they can do what they want and justify it. And I'm seeing Palestinians dehumanizing Israel. But as Christians, we need to elevate humanity. And the way of the cross is, well, I give up my rights. So I'm not going to stand and point fingers. I'm going to pray. I'm going to lament. Um, you know, for some, it, it is supporting causes whether that's, um, you know, causes that are, in, are humanitarian causes, not military causes, you know. And there's always the thing, okay, I'm going to, people have been collecting money for Palestinians. Well, I would be I would be totally fine to be involved in that too, but I want to make assurances that it's not going via Hamas mm. and mm. vice versa for Israel too. There's no point in resources being turned into a war engine. But as a human, mm. as a Christian, I want us to, value and loathe, well, value the life of every human being on both sides and do whatever's in our power to champion the value of that life and mourn the extremes on both sides. Mm. So as we, as we wrap up, we're sitting at a point now where most of Gaza has come under Israeli control. The southernmost city, the city of Rafa. Rafa is the next, yeah, is the it's the last. Oh, it's but, the last outpost, basically, isn't it? Yeah. There's a million of a two million have escaped there, um, and it's the southernmost. You, so, you, you might, listeners, you might be aware, you might remember that they said early on, um, before they attacked, they gave them plenty of warning and said, "We want you to move south out of Gaza City," which they did. A lot of them moved, um, not all, but they a lot of them moved, um, headed south. Well, they've now kind of invaded Gaza to the point where the last unattacked place, if you like, is is this city of Rafa. And now they're telling them we're coming there. We need yeah. to find Hamas there. We're not going to stop until we kill every – we destroy Hamas. That's their that's their narrative. And now you have a whole lot of displaced people, but they have nowhere else to go. 
Uh, I think they're suggesting, oh, now, now come north. Now come north. But the problem is north has been obliterated. So there's nothing there. Places have been left in rubble. Um, it's the middle of winter. So, you know, that is a – I don't know the answer, but that's – I can't just carte blanche say, well, they're all terrorists. These are human beings. These are families who have nowhere to go now who are being asked to move again. Mm. And Egypt won't let them in. They won't – uh, Egypt's actually reinforcing their border. Did you see that? They're actually moving tanks and there's evidence they're building another wall to reinforce their border. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've read that. and I saw some satellite imagery on yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And my I've heard two things that, okay, they're building borders to um, accept the refugees. Well, that would be nice. In, but putting Put, them into, a, well, that wouldn't into be nice. another border. Or it's they're building um, more... Infrastructure to um, to house them. To, no, to house all the stuff okay. for the relief to get like a okay. well, like a depot. Let's assume the best for Egypt uh, and then. So um, what concerns me is if they just build an area to house them, is that Hamas will just move in there with them when they move, which is what Hamas do, and then Israel will go. Well, now we've got to attack Egyptian territory. Hmm. To but that's a whole different issue. Again, will we? It's one thing to attack. Gaza. It's another thing. Will we will we launch into foreign soil yeah. in order to protect ourselves? Yeah. It's, if, it's, and, you can see why it's complicated. Yeah. And well, the other thing is, um, which is what from the get go was like, um, everybody shut their borders is because if they come into like Egypt, potentially, then Israel say, well, they're your problem now. Yes. Um, we won't have them back. And historically, what's which happened is, is when these happened. like the PLO went into Lebanon and caused a whole lot of rigmarole up there. <clears throat> So as we close, I think we're seeing it's complicated. We're seeing we can pray. You know, there's an, this whole other aspect of it, which is just a guess, but how much of this is because we're seeing we're seeing an increase in attacks inside the West Bank. We're seeing an increase of attacks on the Lebanese border through through um, Hezbollah. Hezbollah. So which is a, which is like the Lebanese version of Hamas, I suppose, is the simplest way to put it for now. But there seems to be pretty strong evidence that these. These groups, Hamas, Hezbollah, and so on, uh, Iran is fighting a proxy war against Israel mm. through these two, through these groups. So Iran is sitting hundreds of miles away, sitting pretty, but has a lot stated objective that's anti-Semitic. And so, you know, there's a proxy potential proxy war going on here. Mm. This is just what always has happened in human nature. Mm. And into that, we have this hope that God will one day wipe away every tear. One day he will right every wrong but that he calls us to be instruments of that. And I think as Christians we can't be unknowingly advocating for one side or the other unless we are fully aware that both sides carry guilt and shame. Yeah, I have that always have that scripture verse running through my mind when I think about the Israel-Palestinian conflict yep. is um, and um, is that scripture verse that is um, God says, yes, Possess the land, but you've also got to look after the orphans, the widows, yes, the, f- the foreigners, those that are less Poor. fortunate. Yeah, that's right. People who think that God has ordained Israel to have their land um, because it's written in the Bible and then Israel can do whatever they like. I come against that. Absolutely. Um, because they're not looking after the widows, the orphans, the foreigners. And if you look at the Bible over the years, when they did not do that, the God judgment ki- of the foreign God far- kicked them out. That's exactly right. You hit the nail on the head. I think it's a, it's a naive, maybe well intended, but a naive 
narrative of the scripture to say, well, it's God's God gave them the land, therefore they can have it. I'm fully aware that most Israelis don't even recognize Yahweh as giving them the land. Yeah. It's what I mean by Christian narrative. It's more to do with self-serving Christian narrative. So you're absolutely right, Phil. And I always say this. I say, I just ask people, if this was happening in any other country other than Israel, would you have something to say about it? Mm. And I suspect that many people who just let Israel carry on do it because they're Israel. But if it's Mugabe in Zimbabwe or if it's Putin in China or in Russia, you know, or the Chinese or whatever, there's an outcry against it. But because it's Israel, we just kind of... It's okay. It's it's okay. And it's never okay on any side. I'm not saying Hamas is okay either. I'm just saying let's just... Let's just think about it critically and realize how much our our weak theology about Israel as a state get flows into this, hmm. um, and it all it is all linked to our end time theology. So stay tuned for Revelation because we're going to talk about all this and realize that maybe a lot we we might think end times doesn't matter, but we might also be unaware of how much a dispensational view of end times actually does infiltrate things like Israel and things like modern our, our mm. view of things, injustices yeah. like this. As we close, I wanted to find this quote from N.T. Wright. He says, The line between good and evil runs through each one of us. There is such a thing as wickedness, and we must distinguish between small and low-grade versions of it and large and terrible versions of it. We must not make the trivial mistake of supposing a one-off petty thief and Hitler are exactly alike that the same level of evil is attained by someone who cheats on an exam and by Osama bin Laden. But nor must we suppose that the problem of evil can be either addressed or solved if we trivialise it the other way of labelling those other people as bad and us as good. Mm. So the line of good and evil is in all of us. And I think that there's something inside the human nature that wants to justify ourselves and go, we must be on the good side, unaware that, we can actually be perpetrating um, injustice in the name of what we think is right if we don't reflect enough to go, what would Jesus, what does Jesus have to say about this? And I think unequivocally, Jesus always says, take the low way. Yep. You'll find your life by giving up your life, the way of the cross. Every Christian is called to give up their rights, give up their comfort, give to the poor, the widow, the foreigner, and the orphan, the four that you talked about. That is the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of our Lord. If we can do that, I think we can then begin to think wisely and pray wisely about what is, has already become and continues to be an absolutely horrific situation. And, and just as I close, I was talking to someone about this over the weekend. Even if the war finishes tomorrow, the results, the impact of this war, the trauma on both the Israel pe- Israeli people and the Palestinian people will continue to echo through the generations. Oh, well and truly. There's going to be need for us as Christians to love these people well on all sides of mm. this. It's still there. It's not going to go away when Israel wipe out Hamas if they do or whatever. That's not the end of this. There's still an ongoing pain of this that we should be mm. praying for. Well and truly because it's it's become a generational. It has become generational. Well, how about you pray yeah. for pray? Let's pray for the for peace in the Middle East. Let's pray about this as we close. Father God, you have all things in your hand. You know the beginning from the end. And Lord, you know that each person is valuable in your eyes. And Lord, we just pray for um, your peace of um, to work its way into the uh, each life that's in Israel and in Palestine. 
in Gaza, Lord, that you, your ways, you'll work your way into their lives and, Lord, into everybody that's around the world that's listening to whichever side of the story, Lord, that you'll work in their lives to bring peace through whichever means that they can. And, Lord, just pray for a cease in this war. Mm. Lord, pray for restitution, restoration, Lord, in their lives, Lord, that they may come to know you, come to know your peace, Lord, that the, the land of Gaza will flow with your milk and honey yes. one day. Lord, that there will be rebuilding, Lord, that will be um, soon and not forever. And, Lord, for, pray for the land of Israel, Lord, that your peace will come over that, Lord, your presence. Lord, the land that have been ravaged by Hamas, Lord, that you've restored that, Lord, that their, the crops and everything will flow again, Lord, to just pay that people can return to their homes. And, Lord, that you'll, yeah, your, your light will be shone in that land. Mm. And, Lord, your testimony of who you are will flow into that land. I'm just picturing light yellow flooding over that land yeah, of you. Israel, over Gaza, Lord, over the West Bank. Mm. Lord, that, that's your presence that's flowing. Lord, that people will be um, softened to see each and every one of us there as human beings and that they're all valuable, yes, that Lord. we're all valuable in your eyes and in each other's eyes, Lord, yes. that we're not those people or the other side, but we're all one. And, Lord, just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord, I just want to pray, for, just as Phil was praying, I was prompted to pray for the many Arab Christians that often are forgotten in this situation because they're forgotten by Israel and the West because they're Arab. They're forgotten by their own peop their own ethnic group because they're not Muslim, they're Christian. And there are many of them, many that have had to flee and leave. And I, I pray that, Lord, I want to declare prophetically that the Arab Christians, rather than fleeing, will actually be able to represent you well and become a key player in bringing peace as they follow the way of Christ, as they give up their will and their desires for the sake of peace. Lord, use all the beautiful Arab Christians throughout the West Bank and throughout Israel to um, to be, be instrumental in brokering peace and seeing that come about and seeing uh, those in authority on all sides convert to Christ and and follow the way of Jesus. Lord, I, just, I don't know why you called me to pray for that, but I just mm. do pray for it, Lord, for them, that they, not just that they would be free from their own persecution, but that they would be instruments of the gospel yes. in a way that, that transcends the boundaries between East and West, between um, Arab and, and Israeli as well, Lord. Thank you for what you're going to do there, Lord God. Pray that there'll be a raising up of significant, prominent men and women in the Arab Christian community that can be, bro be involved in brokering peace. Amen. 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 Well, thanks, Phil. No, thank that you. That was um, very enlightening, and you know that we'll have more to say at some point. But hopefully, that gives people a bit of food for thought. Yes. Yeah. And we didn't touch on half of the stuff that we could have touched on. But, <laughs> Not even half. <laughs> um, yeah. So as yeah. we said at the beginning, we can't. We don't know the answers to everything. No. Um, and there's a lot more to say. to say. I'm in the middle of listening to a series of podcasts. It's like 30 hours long on this stuff. So so uh, there's plenty to say. But we've yeah. done an hour and 20 minutes. Hopefully it's mm. enough for people to get get a bit of an understanding of it. And there's plenty of resources out there that you can there is. for that will get you there. Yep. Yeah. All right. Okay. Awesome. No worries. We'll see you next Thank time. You. Will do. Bye.